Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Thursday, October 28th. At least it is in California. Wherever you're listening from, or whatever time it is for you, we're sure glad you're here tonight. Our special guest is Clarence Fisher. Hi, Clarence. I guess I guess I got to keep that mic pushed in. Hi, Steve. Welcome, everybody. It's great to see everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry Don't about keeping the person too long. I know you've got your kids there. Okay, and if I am getting an echo, so you must not have headphones on. So if you don't mind leaving that off, I'll do a little bit of an intro here. Future of Education is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate, now Blackboard Collaborate. The project I work on is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators with Illuminate baked in. We hope you'll come and take advantage of those resources. This month and next month, Future of Education has received some financial assistance from Microsoft and Redo, making my book budget whole again. So thanks to Microsoft, Redo, and this project. Uh, it's very interesting, um, Bing.com, Redo. Coming up in November, our free five-day virtual conference on global education, www.globaleducationconference.com. This has been keeping me going. 12 to 15 hours a day. This is really going to be fun. I hope we can survive it. Uh, we have, we'll probably have 350 presentations, uh, and you can actually see them in your own time zone, the ones that are up so far, uh, if you go to globaleducationconference.com. Uh, we are closing the call for presentations uh, this weekend, um, but you can still sneak one in if you'd like. Uh, and if you don't, please don't worry. There's going to be plenty, and they'll all be recorded. And what we're really hoping is that we just help make some huge connections for people who are trying to do global education. That's our goal. Coming up on the Future of Education interview series, uh, next week, Vicki Abellis, the director of the, the Race to Nowhere movie, not Waiting for Superman, but Race to Nowhere, which hasn't received as much publicity, is going to come on and talk to us. I did receive an email from the Waiting for Superman people today. Although when I emailed back some of the shows I'd done that uh, were challenging of that movie, I haven't heard back from them, so I don't know if they're going to come on. Steve Farr, Stephen Farr on Thursday the 4th to talk about Teach for America also should be a very interesting interview given a little bit of negative uh, press. Um, uh, well, not press, but a little bit of negative feeling about that program that surfaced um, in many areas. Um, but it should be a good chance I'm going to read the book, and I'm really, really anxious to talk to him thoughtfully. Uh, Tony Krasnick on Concise Learning on the 11th, and we have our big conference. Um, and then you can see more fun coming up, um, including Deborah Meyer and Alfie Cohen uh, in December, which should be nice. Okay, if you've missed the show, they are all recorded. Diane Ravitch this week was fascinating. A wonderful session with her. She doesn't mince words. There's a lot of opinion there, and if you're interested in hearing what Diane has to say, that recording is up at futureofeducation.com. Jim Burke talked to us about his English companion, Nang. 22,000 English teachers gathered in that social network. The Museum of Modern Art did a show on their resources, and hopefully lots more that's fun to listen to, all of those recorded. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. The first recommendation I want to give you is to go up to View Layouts and switch to a wide, the Wide Layout format. You'll find it's much easier to follow the chat. So View Layouts and, and Wide Layout. View Layouts, Wide Layout, correct. Um, you also have at the bottom of your participant window little emoticons that allow you to smile or to clap, give a confused look or a thumbs down. 
the bigger icon with the hand and the green up arrow is how you'd raise your hand when you want to ask Clarence a question. And we'll do Q&A. I'm going to ask some questions at the beginning, but we'll, we'll pretty quickly shift to an environment where you can ask questions. If you want to ask a question through the microphone, go up to Tools Audio, run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is working well. If you want to, you're welcome just to put a question in the chat. And Clarence is Illuminate Savvy, and he'll be looking for those, and I know we'll respond to them. OK, uh, although it looks as though with the drop-down box in the participant window, you can send a private message, know that uh, if it, even though it looks as though it's sending a private message to another participant, uh, Clarence and I as moderators see those messages. And if there are a lot of them and they're off task, it can be distracting. So we'll ask you to be careful about that. Uh, I'm now going to give you permissions to modify the map. And the way you do that is look for the wand with the red star at the end. It's to the left of the map. Click on that, and then click on where you are listening from. And good, shout it out in the chat as well. Lima, Peru. Looks like Japan, India. Connecticut. Well, we've got folks from all over. What a lot of fun. So wherever you're listening from, or if you're listening to the recording, we are sure glad that you've joined us. This is going to be really a lot of fun for me personally. Clarence, I don't know uh, if you need to introduce any family members or if they're going to participate with you, but feel free to do so at this moment. No, they've actually headed off into the living room. This is a, a pretty busy house, as probably most of yours are. I teach full time. My wife teaches full time in the same school I do. And we've got two boys, a 12-year-old, Alexander, who's actually in my class this year, and my 10-year-old, uh, Christian, who's just making his way home from Taekwondo lessons and getting changed. So uh, no, I'm going this one alone. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time, especially with that busy schedule. Um, why don't you, I would like tonight to go through sort of a list of questions I have for you to kind of get Clarence Fisher 101. But part of what's fun about this is that you're really the perfect guest for the future of education because all of the things that you like to talk about are things that, that we would like to talk about on the show. So we're going to go through that list. We'll give people a chance to, to chime in and ask you questions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what has brought you to this moment um, and sort of the role of the internet in that um, story. Well, thanks for starting with such a tiny question, Steve. Uh, what I do is I teach grade 7 and 8. I'm a grade 7 and 8 teacher full time in a little town called Snow Lake, Manitoba. We are about 800 kilometers north of the Canada-US border. We're a town of all of about 1,000 people. Um, and I've been teaching here. This actually is my hometown. I moved back here about a dozen years ago and have been teaching here ever since. Uh, we kind of do everything. It almost turns into the shotgun approach uh, these days. Uh, every one of the kids in my classroom has a blog. We have iGoogle accounts. We've got a, a hot new buddy press that we've been trying out for the last little while. Uh, this year, we're collaborating with a class in another little town in Ontario, in Wingham, Ontario. Uh, Heather Dernan, who I believe is here, 
Yeah, she is. I can see her icon there. Uh, we're working with them pretty closely. We're getting ready to do some pretty cool stuff uh, using some back channeling and bringing in some other guests uh, to work with us. Uh, we've kind of been at it all. We've done podcasting. We do Flickr. We've done some Illuminate stuff. We kind of do it all. Uh, and as a couple people mentioned earlier in the chat room here someplace, uh, actually today I was sworn in as Snow Lake's mayor. Uh, election day in Manitoba was yesterday, and uh, as of today, I'm also the mayor of this small community. So it's uh, it's busy and getting even busier. So that's kind of Clarence Fisher 101. Well, I hope there's a lot more, but uh, I'll draw them. I'll draw it out with questions. So uh, one of the intriguing things for me about the series has been that it really started for me as kind of an exploration of how the participative tools of the web were transforming our own personal learning experiences and had the potential to transform education. As I've gone through the series, I've discovered that increasingly I'm finding more and more that for me it's less and less about the technology and more and more about the culture of the school, while the technology often facilitates certain kinds of cultures. Um, is there a balance for you there, and, and sort of how are you viewing the, 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 this moment in time with technology, and what, what do you think its impact on education is? Is it, is, is it big, or is it just another kind of moment in time? I, oh, no, I definitely believe that, that this is about collaboration, this is about culture. Uh, but you know, in an, in an interesting way, I actually remember maybe two years ago having a great chat with Dean Shiresky and talking about the idea of uh, this is not about the tools. And Dean kind of gave me this quizzical look and said, well, it, it always has to be about the tools because without the tools, what we do isn't possible. So ever since that time, I've kind of kept that on the back burner of, of what I think about. And I definitely don't like to focus on the tools. I'm really a literacy guy. And I'm interested in how what we know is changing and how what it's possible for us to know is changing. Um, I, I believe that we are in a moment in time. I, I believe you're always in a, in a moment in time. That basically, we, we can't take a snapshot and say, this is what literacy is. We can take a snapshot and say, this is what literacy is today at the end of 2010, but I think that's already changed from what it was five years ago. I think that will continue to change. I think five years from now, uh, the skills that we need to be literate will also change. Uh, we've done a fair amount of work already this year in my classroom, for example, with just telling truth from fiction online. And, and that's certainly something that a lot of classes have been concentrating on over the last few years. But again, I think that's different because we used to give kids textbooks, we used to give kids newspaper articles, and certainly we still do use some of these tools in, their, in our classrooms. Uh, but we used to give them those things basically without question. And we used to give them those things and tell kids, you know, these are sources you can trust. And now whether that was ever really true or not, uh, I'm not too sure. But I think that with kids using more online sources, no matter whether those sources are video or audio or text-based, uh, I think that that critical reading and that critical thinking piece is much more important than it used to be. 
for example, when you set kids loose to do research on the web, uh, you, you know, you, I mean, you never really know where they are. I mean, they certainly you might give them some websites to start, and certainly it's our job to to check on them and make sure they're in proper and appropriate places. Uh, but you've got kids coming at a, a single topic or from multiple topics from multiple places. And whereas in the past, you know, again, they might have had a couple of sources of information, and we were pretty familiar with those. You know, that's not really true anymore. So kids have to be a lot more turned on themselves to these kinds of skills. They need to be tuned in to that critical thinking piece in a, in a way that they've never had to be in the past. And I think that's really important. And I think that's true really in all in all subjects. You know, when we think of giving kids, uh, you know, the, the ability to do some research in science, well, what's true, what's not? Um, you know, from whose opinion and whose side and from what culture and, and what do they believe in, in another part of the world that might be very different than ours. Uh, I think those are all, they're all difficulties, but they're all opportunities. Uh, when we get kids to look at, uh, you know, just, just simple things, look at a news story in, from multiple newspapers and in parts of the world, uh, what does that news story look like in different places? Uh, what is the, the author's bias? What is the writer's bias? What are they trying to convince us, uh, convince us of? You know, in the past we never really worried too much about these kinds of things because we worked with much more basic sources. But these days, I think these are all very important questions, and we really have to help our kids to see them. Uh, Heather and I are doing something right now with World War II, and when we're getting kids to look at, at issues like the Holocaust and, uh, you know, the role of Canada in World War II, uh, you know, they run into a lot of information that's challenging for them. Uh, they might run into some information that's, you know, outright mistruths. And they have to be aware of these things. They have to know that that's possible, and they have to know how to detect it. Uh, and again, that, that's skills that our kids have never had to have in the past. And you know, these are these are 12 and 13 year old kids, so that's some pretty high level high level ideas for them. So I'm interested in the interplay between the personal experience of educators who have encountered the web and participative technologies, and their own uh, kind of change process, and then how that's impacting the role they're playing, their voice in education, and their advocacy of literacies. Do, do you feel like you've gone through personal changes because of the web? Oh, I, I believe that that's hugely true uh, of myself. Uh, living in a small, small community in a fairly isolated place, uh, you know, one thing I often talk about when I'm out in-servicing or, or giving a, a master class of some kind is the idea that I remember growing up in this town and, and when we got our second TV channel. You know, that was a big deal. I remember being a kid and having a second TV channel. Uh, you know, you, you had a few places, you know, that you could buy magazines from. There was one store in town that we could buy cassette tapes from. You know, yes, cassette tapes. Uh, and when I think of my own kids who have a high-speed internet service in the house, you know, there's four of us in the house and we have three laptops. Uh, we have, you know, uh, satellite TV with 500 channels of nothing. Uh, you know, that's a fully different experience for them. And 
I, I believe that's true of myself too. I believe that we never stop changing. When I think of just simply going from, from dial-up to, to high speed, when I think of what that's brought in my classroom for changes, uh, that, that's huge. Uh, I know that I have access to a lot more information than I used to have. And I think I've, I've tried to prove the importance of that to the kids in my classroom as well uh, with the idea that our, our own literacy constantly changes. And I believe that when, when I think of myself, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a, an educated person, but I'm actually a fairly slow reader. And yet I do most of my reading online these days. Uh, when newspapers, well, the, the newspaper that we get in Snow Lake just because of our distance from any place is always a day outdated. Well, when I think of that compared to what I can get on the internet, you know, that, that's completely changed. So the, the URL for my blog is even from here. And I think that's really a point that even from here, even in a small town like this, uh, you know, that, that globe has an impact on us in a way that it never used to. Uh, we used to be a fairly small, isolated place that was kind of on the edge of everything. Well, we're, we're a mining community, but yet uh, mining is really a global business these days. We have a number of parents in this small community who work in Mexico or work in Mongolia or go to Greece to teach other miners or work down in, you know, the southwestern U.S. or in Australia. So, you know, even a business like mining that you think is, you know, kind of a, a tough kind of half backwards words business, you know, is not like that anymore. Uh, it's a real global thing. When we have parents who, you know, are in Mongolia for six weeks at a time and uh, they communicate with their kids via Skype, that, that's a big difference. And our kids come fairly savvy. You know, for a small town, our, our kids have a fair amount of money. Uh, I mean, mining is not a profession that, uh, it, that it is cheaply run by any stretch. A lot of the miners in our community make a, make a fair amount of money. So these are kids who travel a fair amount. Uh, you know, it's common for them to go to the Dominican Republic or, you know, Punta Cana in Mexico or someplace for spring break. They all have, you know, Xboxes and cell phones and all those kinds of things. Um, but yet they come to the classroom thinking that they're fairly savvy because they know how to use a computer. And then you ask them, well, what do you use your computer for? Well, they use it to download music and they use it to go on MSN or on Facebook. But when it comes to anything academic, any kind of idea of being participatory or taking part in society, uh, you know, that's something they really need to learn. And again, I think that comes back to living in a small town. Those, those things are important. It's an important way for us to get our information. It's an important way for us to be connected with the world. So, I mean, definitely we've changed as adults and that's something if, uh, that our kids also need to see. They need to see that it's okay to live in a small town and that you can still do this kind of work. So I'm curious as to how the uh, school and, and the students' parents have reacted to some of the work that you're doing. Uh, have you had to spend a fair amount of time kind of explaining the value of this or what's the response been? 
there's actually been very, very little problems of any kind. Um, I, I typically each year have one or two parents who have questions. You know, is it safe? Uh, you know, what are you going to do with this stuff? You know, is my kid's picture going to be online? And my answer to those things is pretty well always yes. I mean, yes, it is safe for them. Uh, yes, they will be participating in open, authentic learning environments. Uh, everything we do is open to the world. Our blogs are open. I mean, feel free to go there and leave us some comments. Uh, our Flickr account is open. Our YouTube account is open. Uh, we get comments from all over the place. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did, uh, you know, kind of those old-style radio plays. Uh, they're fabulous to do with kids. Free tools like Audacity and then post them back online. Uh, those things have been downloaded, you know, several tens of thousands of times. And to, to show parents that their kids have a real audience and they have a real opportunity to take part, uh, I mean, I've had very few problems. I have never had a parent turn me down. And you know what, it almost gets to the point where I wonder if they should. I mean, what would we do if a parent came in and said, well, you know, my, I don't want my kids doing that math. I mean, we would, we would think that's crazy. Well, it's kind of the same thing with this, isn't it? You know, what do you mean you don't want your kids to take part in a global environment? What do you mean you don't want your kids to learn about a new culture and, and deal with authentic writing in real ways? Uh, you know, I, I begin to wonder at what point that that just becomes the default. At what point does that become the way that things are? So David Jakes is making a joke about your tie, but I think what's interesting about the picture of you is that you look clean cut. And that's, you know, the, the message there I think is very clear. This is a very thoughtful person who's, who's articulate, who's saying that this is really important for students. But I'm wondering how, uh, it would be interesting to hear from the audience in the chat maybe to kind of uh, chime in a little, are you getting the same kind of positive reaction from parents or do you feel like, uh, this is maybe Snow Lake um, and in a smaller community where it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about safety. We'll kind of go there for a minute. I thought your digital stalking exercise was brilliant. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. That, that's actually our kind of our, our latest success, I guess. Um, what we did is we took three fairly well-known figures in the edu sphere. So we took Jeff Udick, we took Will Richardson, and Jabez Rezdana. And I wanted to talk to the kids about online safety, and I wanted to talk to the kids about digital footprint. So basically what we started off with is I just showed the kids uh, the three pictures of these gentlemen, uh, just so they'd know if they ran into pictures of them online. Um, what they look like, and I gave them their names. And then I said, uh, you know, go find out all you can about these guys. Uh, Pete, Edusphere, by, when, I, when I use the word Edusphere, I just mean like the educational blogosphere. Um, so what I did to these guys, to my students, is I said, uh, you know, just go find out what you can about these guys, and I want to know everything. I want to know everything you can find out about them. Um, about their personal lives, about their professional lives. Um, I did not ask them really to find out about, uh, you know, what are these guys like? Okay. I just asked them, you know, what are these, what are these gentlemen doing online? And then I, I set the kids loose. 
Okay, you can see uh, Steve's posted in uh, pasted in the, the blog post there. If you scroll down through it, you can see all the pictures. Uh, so I had the kids work for basically about 60 minutes or you know 80 minutes someplace, and basically find out everything they could about them, and then post it up. Um, so that was about digital footprint. You know, how much information are people posting online? Okay, uh, then. The thing is, I asked them the question, are these, are these three gentlemen being safe? And at first, a lot of the kids were quite horrified when they saw the amount of information that these gentlemen had shared. Because j just by the amount of it, uh, they, they couldn't believe. Their first impression is that they were being not safe. But then when we really looked at that information, and I asked them, you know, could you find these guys? Could you, could you find them or could you find their family? Um, you know, could you do harm to them in any way? And then when they started going back through what they had found, uh, you know, they, they found that really they couldn't. That these guys were sharing a lot of information online, but they were doing so really in a way that was safe. Uh, you know, you couldn't find their homes. You couldn't get in contact with them. Um, they, they did find one phone number. They did find uh, um, Jeff Udick's phone number, which, which again, Dean Shiresky, I mean, leave it to Dean. Um, Dean said to me one time after this was posted, I, I think he actually left a comment on the blog post about the fact of, uh, you know, there is a way. We always worry about posting phone numbers online, but it's called a phone book. You know, we can find people's phone numbers. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so in the end, the kids decided that these gentlemen uh, are being completely safe online. Even with the amount of information they're posting, they are being safe online. Uh, the one concern that they did have is they were concerned that Will is sharing quite a few pictures of his kids. And, but again, you know, he's doing that in a way that, that is safe, that you can't find his kids. You don't know where they are. You don't know anything about their schedules. Um, but the, the kids were concerned about other people's kids. So it really turned into a, a, fantastic, uh, a fantastic assignment that let us tackle two really big ideas, you know, that idea of digital footprint and that idea of online safety. Uh, what was also interesting is uh, a, a number of people have picked up this lesson since then. I, I see a few of them going by in the chat room. Um, there's been a few of them on Twitter too, and, and a lady named Ann Krems who teaches in Beijing. Uh, I woke up the other morning and I'm a fairly early riser and uh, here I had an email in my, my inbox uh, from a grade 5 student named Bryce and, and Bryce was, you know, Ann, Ann Krems, his teacher, had taken up this assignment and, uh, and Bryce was researching me and Bryce is a grade 5 student in Beijing and uh, he sent me an email looking for some information. So they took it, uh, took it one step further with what, I mean, they had information they had to find out. And, uh, and Bryce even took the initiative to, to find my email address and email me. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, so it's really turned into a fabulous assignment. I've got a lot of great feedback about it. Um, I've heard from lots of people that are using it. Uh, and please feel free, I mean, take whatever you find on my blog and uh, and modify it and change it and do what you will with it. So I, I appreciated both the digital footprint and the safety issue. Uh, I wondered 
what it would be like to do an exercise on some students who are, say, seniors in high school, and think about how they're being represented, say, to colleges or college students being represented to employers. Because for me, it's a great argument for finding a way to actually present yourself online that you want. Um, you know, you have your website and you have chosen to put material up there that really describes you in a, in a way that you want to be described. And my guess is that we're going to be more and more encouraging students to build their own profile page or not even a portfolio, but to sort of their presence in order to be able to control the message uh, rather than having the search be on Facebook or something like that. Oh, uh, I, I think that's a really good point, Steve. Uh, the kids that I teach are in grade 7 and 8, so they're just starting to get into this kind of stuff. Uh, what would be really interesting, I think, is if you could get two teachers who, who know each other, uh, but the students don't know each other. If you had two different classrooms where the kids could research uh, kids in another classroom, and if those kids are maybe 16, 17, 18 years old, I think you'd find some really interesting things. Um, you know, I, I try to talk to the kids in my classroom about the idea of, of you have to tell your own story. If you are not telling your own story, someone is going to tell it for you. And that's really up to you to make sure that your web presence is positive, that your web presence is one that you want to share with the world. Okay? So I really think doing something like that would be really interesting, where if you had students in one classroom research students in another and then share that, what they were able to find out, uh, I think you'd have some really interesting things. Um, you know, especially if the kids don't know uh, that the other kids are researching them, so they wouldn't have time. Uh, so they wouldn't have time to clean up profiles or anything like that. Uh, you know, at, at that age when kids are heading off to college, I think you'd find some interesting things. I think it's a great idea, and I love the idea of maybe having the teachers combine and then, you know, get agreement and get. You have to get some approval from the students. I don't know how it would be interesting, but doing it without a lot of preparation. And then maybe having the follow-up be having them then build their own presences and having the students come back and look and, and kind of give feedback to the, how, the, um, how the students from the other school had built their digital, their, their digital presence. And there's, there are words being thrown around in the chat like branding and positive digital presence and uh, reputation defending and lots of good stuff. Well, that would be interesting to follow up on. Um, I want to talk about, uh, we've got about half an hour to go. I wanted to touch on um, Web 2.0, which I think we've done to a fair degree. I wanted to talk about global issues in connecting, uh, how the, the classroom is changing, both sort of physically and in terms of what we expect to, to happen, and uh, also sort of online hybrid issues. Um, but we also need to leave time for Q&A. So of those that I've mentioned, sort of, so let's say global, Classroom 2.0 and um, hybrid or online learning. Do you have one you would want to start with? Why don't we deal with some global stuff? Um, you know, so the global stuff is really interesting because, again, being in a small town, you'd think you're kind of in the middle of no place, and, and you're really not. So I think that idea of, of global connectivity is really vital for a classroom today where Kids just, I mean, again, it needs to almost become the default position 
of the classroom where we need, we need to be connected. We need to understand how issues in one place are affecting, are affecting us in another place. Uh, I mean, uh, the stock market crashes in Hong Kong and, uh, and, and kids' parents can't retire. You know, so that idea of that interconnectivity is really vital. Uh, today in class, this had come up, and we, we simply, I simply had kids take off their shoes and look in their shoes and, and, and talk about where those were made and why are they made there and, and what's going on with that. Uh, one thing we always do, or always, we've done the last few years, is I've been using iGoogle like this where it turns into our, our online textbook. Um, what I usually do is I usually find about five or six uh, feeds online that I want the kids to read. Uh, might be everything from uh, the BBC News to uh, Nata Village, which is a, a small village in Africa. Um, it might be uh, uh, the Canadian CBC you know, global feed, whatever it is. So I find five or six feeds that I want kids to start with, and I call that required reading. So I, with iGoogle, one great thing you can do is you can uh, build a page and then share it with others. So I build this page to start with every year, and then I share it with the kids. Then what I have them do is I have them find other places that they want to focus on. Uh, a great place I use, I love Global Voices Online. Uh, Globalvoicesonline.org is a fabulous place. And I have kids pull uh, two different feeds. I ask them to pick a country that they're interested in, and I ask them to pick a topic. So that topic might be everything from sports through photography through, there, there's dozens of them listed on the Global Voices uh, website. And, and then we, we build that out. We expand that out. Uh, I have a rubric that I built last year, and you can find it on my blog someplace, uh, that is about, about connecting. It's a connections rubric. And I don't use it to grade kids, but what I do is I use it as a discussion starter, where maybe about once a month or so, uh, I'll sit down around that, that table with a group of kids, and I'll ask them about their connections. Who are they talking to? Who are they reading? Uh, what information have they gained? What's been the advantage of having, uh, you know, those kind of voices in their iGoogle account? On the other hand, I also ask them, you know, what kind of what kind of information do they not have? Who whose voice are they not hearing? And then this is where my job really comes in as a teacher is to help them find the, the missing pieces find the voices that they're missing, find the topics that they're missing. Uh, sorry, phone rang. Had to talk about the kids. <laughs> um, so we, we really work with those ways where, where I think it's really important to, to help kids see those things and help kids, uh, you know, see these connections and, and see these places that they're not getting information. And, and again, uh, is there problems with this? Certainly there is. They, they get information sometimes that's not true. They get information that's extremely biased. They get information that, that is simply false. But you know what? That's part of working online. You know, that's what being a citizen in a globally connected society is. And that brings up all kinds of stuff. Then we have to talk about bias. We have to talk about viewpoint. We have to learn how to use websites like whois.net. 
to verify who are the, the authors of, of, of websites. So that brings up all sorts of things. Um, and, and is there trouble with that? Sometimes certainly there is. And it's a very messy process. But you know what, that, that's part of education. That's part of learning where kids need to understand that this process uh, is not a neat and clean out of the textbook, you know, just straight out of the box kind of learning. That, that's not what learning is. And that's not the process of being globally connected anymore. So I'm curious, I've used NetVibes for that purpose before, but I didn't know that you could share an iGoogle page. Does anybody in the chat or Clarence, do you, is there a quick way to tell us how to do that? Yeah, it's actually really simple. Uh, once you've got your page built, uh, if, if you look up at the top of your page, uh, there, there's just a little tab that's up there. Um, I'm just heading there right now to make sure I've got it right. Is it yeah. you export the iGoogle page and someone has to import it? Yeah, what you can do is you, can, you just send the kids an email. Um, I, I just send them an email and it, it sends the whole page to them. And so what happens is just like getting a Google Doc or anything like that is that the kids just get an email and that says, you know, Clarence Fisher has shared this iGoogle page with you. Uh, do you want to accept it or not? So uh, it's very easy to use. I see uh, David has dropped a, a link into the chat room there, and uh, that's probably exactly what it is. Yeah, I've yeah, never I've even noticed, noticed that. that. It's, it's a little, little drop-down drop menu from the tabs. tabs. Yeah, it, it works fabulously. Okay, so um, thinking about the global, uh, is, is International Teen Life a project of yours? Yeah, that, that was one of the original projects, actually, yeah. It, now, it, there was an active link to it, and I went to it, but I couldn't tell for sure. Um, are, are, for someone who's interested in doing some form of global connecting, not just sort of learning about other cultures, but actually connecting with other teachers, do you have certain steps you recommend right off the bat? Yeah, cer certainly. Uh, you know what, if we go all the way back to international team life, uh, International Teen Life was kind of one of the original global collaborative 2.0 projects that was out there. Um, and it was, it was a great challenge because when we undertook that, that project, uh, that was probably five years ago now. And, uh, you know, the, the tools weren't as easy as they are, are even now. You know, with, with four or five years, we've seen uh, a tremendous increase in the ease of using these kinds of tools uh, together. Uh, things embed much easier. Uh, things talk to each other much easier than they used to in the past. Um, and, and even finding people. You know, finding people. I, I used to, you know, Google up schools uh, and Google up classrooms looking for people that were blogging and then just simply send emails out to teachers and introduce myself and say, hey, I'm interested in doing something together. Uh, would you be interested in doing something? Uh, you know, that process has got a whole lot, a whole lot easier with, with things like Twitter, with all of the names that are out there for people to connect on. Uh, there's lots of places now to, to find people. Um, I always recommend David Warlick's great uh, Blogmeister site. Uh, there's a lot of fabulous places um, that you can that you can hook up with other people. Uh, I think some real key points 
about uh, about global connections and global collaborations uh, come down to things like I mean things that we would kind of take for granted whether you're online or offline. Uh, you know, with, with the stuff that Heather and I have done this year, we, we've talked a lot about things like assessment. I mean, how are you going to uh, assess the people uh, that you're doing, or that the you know that the projects that you're doing? Uh, what are your curricular expectations? Can you find some matches between those things? Um, you have to do a lot of work too with things like time commitments. What might seem like a, a, a 30 minute project for somebody might be a 12 hour project for somebody else. Okay, so things like, you know, kind of basic project management things, no matter whether you're sitting next, you know, to, beside somebody at, at your desk doing some planning or whether those, those people are on the other side of the world. Uh, it, it takes a lot of email going back and forth. And you know what, mix ups can, can still happen. Um, I, Heather and I talk a lot, even this year, about the idea of, of works and all. You know, you really have to be prepared to put yourself out there. Uh, you know, kids in your classroom will say dumb things to kids in other classrooms, and that's okay. You know, they'll do that on the playground as, as well. We don't ban pencils because kids send nasty notes to each other. Um, you know, we, we don't do those things. So we have to be prepared for those kinds of things uh, with online projects as well. So, you know, think of, of basic project management kind of things, okay? Uh, don't necessarily concentrate on the technology. Uh, concentrate on what are your learning goals. And then from there, step back and say, now what are the tools we've got available to us, okay? Um, because that's really what it's about. I mean, if we go back right to the beginning and, and, and think about, uh, about project management stuff, I mean, that's what this is really about. Um, with the tools we have today, free blogging tools, uh, Animoto accounts, YouTube accounts, Flickr accounts, um, I mean, the, the connections are, are, are fairly easy to make. I don't want to say it's easy because, of course, there's a lot of, a lot of tech skills involved. And you know what? That's okay too. Things break down. You know, sometimes you don't have the software you need. Uh, sometimes your network crashes. Uh, Heather and I had a, a Skype uh, a Skype call planned uh, about three or four weeks ago now. One day, and, and our internet connection died. You know, um, so I mean, things things like that happen, and that's a real a real thing. I always talk about the idea of of the connection that Heather and I have this year, uh, we call it a thin-walled classroom where we're working together basically all year. Okay? And it's not a sprint. If you do a regular kind of online global collaborative project, uh, it might be four weeks long or five weeks long, and you basically spend your whole time on your knees praying that nothing breaks down because everything needs to work. And that's true. But when you're working over a long period of time, with somebody else or even on, on several projects, you know, things do happen. Uh, kids are sick, computers break down, you don't have software, your filters act up. You know, that's, that's the stuff that happens. And, and that's just got to be okay. You know, that's just the way it is. So don't necessarily, when you're, when you're getting into these kind of projects, don't necessarily worry so much about the technology. Worry about, uh, about project planning. Do a good job planning your project up front. Uh, use a wiki 
use a, a couple of Skype calls, send countless emails with the smallest little details you can imagine because you're going to need them. So as I can imagine someone listening to this and thinking, he, Clarence makes it sound so easy and it's not about the technology, but there's such a steep learning curve to go from where maybe a, a one particular educator is to the place where you are, where you're comfortable enough with, with the tools and technologies to do this. So if we have this, this sort of human desire to often to systematize, somebody's doing something well, it's working, so we want to create a system. So we think about you know, how would we integrate these 21st century skills or literacies into the school, and so someone builds a model for doing that. Um, is that really going to work, or what will it take for us to get from here to where we want to be in 10 years? What kinds of activities can we be doing to encourage this kind of school environment? And, and are, what are you, where are you seeing success to move people from this place of feeling like that's overwhelming to, I could actually do that? To, to be honest, I'm a poor role model for that, I have to honestly say. Uh, I always tell people when I'm speaking at conferences or doing any of these kinds of sessions, you know, choose a tool or two and, and work with it. You know, no matter what that tool is. Uh, I, I'm really big into to offline tools too. I mean, I love things like Audacity. I love things like, like Scratch and Fun. You know, there's lots of great tools that are available. And we used to talk, you know, we used to, we used to talk about things like budgets. You know, well, I, I can't do that because I haven't got the money. Well, you know what? It, it's really not about that anymore. The amount of open source and free tools that are available, uh, you know, that's kind of scratched off the list. And, and what it is, is uh, that's really it. You know, the barriers have been lowered in, in so many ways over and over again. The barriers have been lowered with, with our budgets, with falling prices with things, with free things, with, with open source things. Uh, the barriers have been falling in, uh, in a lot of the tech difficulties. I mean, certainly there is tech skills to learn, uh, but it's much easier now. I mean, if you can, if you can keyboard, you can blog. Uh, the barriers are falling in so many ways that it's not about you know, be, being a nerd anymore. I, I would say I'm a geek. I'm not a nerd. Um, because if your computer's broken, I probably can't fix it. You know, I'm not that kind of a guy. Okay? Uh, what my expertise is in is my expertise is in, you know, getting the connections, I guess, and, and helping the kids learn from each other. Uh, things like BuddyPress, I mean, that we're working with right now. I mean, certainly I had to do the work to set up the site. But you can, you can do that. I mean, you can get somebody else to, to help you with that. But then with, with the kids, you know, again, going back to the stuff that Heather and I are doing right now, uh, we have 44 kids or 45 kids between our two classes. There's only two of us. You know, the stuff that those kids are teaching us, there's something every day. Okay? Um, so put them to work. And it's really true. Uh, they are the experts on this kind of stuff. Anytime I want to teach kids a new piece of software, I, I don't know it that well. Okay? I usually get something with the idea about, you know, I play with a new piece of software. I might spend, you know, half an hour over a couple of nights looking at stuff and kind of poking around and making some kind of a, uh, making some kind of a mini project that I can show off to kids. 
But after that, I bring it in and I always tell the kids, okay, it's sandbox time. You know, let's go to work. And I give them, uh, I give them half an hour or I give them, you know, some, some time to start with. And then after that half an hour, I expect each one of those kids uh, to get up and, and show the rest of us something new. And you know what? 90% of the time, I learn something new too. And, and that's fabulous. I mean, that's what this is about. And then as the year goes on, you've got these kids. Uh, some of them are, are really great video editors. Some of them are really great audio editors. Some of them are fabulous bloggers. You know, put those kids to work. And, you know, I, I know that's kind of a stereotype and that's kind of the advice that you get. But you know what? It's true. It really is. Uh, get those kids helping each other. They're the experts. They're the ones to do it. And one of the problems is is that we've always kind of wondered about that control. But in the years I've been working like this, I've, I really feel that you can trust kids. You know, I've had very, very few times uh, where kids have let me down. You know, is it always as good as I want it to be? Not at all. Okay. Do kids make spelling mistakes and post run-on sentences online? And I mean, it happens every single day, but that's okay. You know, the idea is that, that we work online in the open, and, and this is the way we do things. I mean, kids won't let you down. You will have the odd kid here and there, of course, who's going to push the boundaries. Deal with it. Same as you deal with kids in your classroom who, who push the behavior boundaries. You know, I'm not saying we have to let kids, you know, out and, and free and let them be free to do what they want. Not at all. I mean, have strict policies in place and enforce them. I'm a big believer in that. Uh, you know, if you set boundaries for kids and then hold them to those boundaries, they're going to jump up to that bar 95% of the time. You'll be more impressed with them than you would ever be disappointed in them. So let's shift the Q&A. We blew right past my normal 15-minute moment for Q&A, so I apologize. But if you have a question for Clarence, you can use the larger icon at the bottom of your participant window, the hand with the green up arrow to raise your hand to ask a question. You can put a question in the chat. That wasn't your fault, Clarence. I led you there. While we're waiting for a question, um, oh, we've got a question, so I'll hold mine until after this. Asif, I'm giving you the microphone. You turn it on by clicking on the larger microphone button at the lower left of your screen. Hi, uh, Clarence. Just wanted to say thanks for telling it like it is. And uh, my question is, do you have any strategies to um, kind of nurture collaboration amongst students from different classrooms, so students who, wouldn't, who don't know each other, um, strategies to have them start communicating and working together? Thanks. Yeah, that, that's actually a really important question, and it's one I'm learning more about every year. Uh, you know what, it, it can't be at the beginning about the, about the content. Like, I know we're often in a rush. We want to get kids to the learning stuff, and we want to get kids to the learning stuff because we feel that we, we sometimes feel we have to justify what we do. Right? We feel that, well, we can't put them in, in a, a Flickr account or give them a blog and then ask them just to, to blog about their weekend, right? Uh, we, we feel guilty about that sometimes. But really, that's an important place to be. Uh, you know, Heather and I this year ran a Flickr photo contest. 
if somebody wants to go out and hunt down that link. Uh, we, we posed the kids the, the problem of, of introducing themselves to each other. Uh, they wrote some introductory blog posts and then after that they started taking pictures. I think we ended up with 127 pictures or something like that. Um, between that and some intro Skype calls where we had the kids, you know, posing some questions to each other. You know, we're both small towns, but we're very different from each other. We're, we're a small mining community surrounded by, by forests and lakes. Uh, they are a, a farming community. So just, just pictures of combines going back and forth and, and lakes and boats going back and forth are, are amazing for kids. And you know what, they will come up with their own questions. They will find their own connections. And it's okay if every kid is not connected to every other kid. Let them find the friends they're interested in. Let them find their connections. That's way better than, uh, than us forcing the connections on them. Fascinating. So again, if you have a question, uh, please feel free to raise your hand, the hand with the green up arrow. We have about five minutes to go. Chris asks, do you see clusters of kids forming naturally? Uh, huge, huge. I mean, that, that's a monstrous thing. Uh, I, I've really been interested the last couple of years actually in networks. I mean, it's Clay Shirky's fault. He, he did it all to me. Um, I'm really interested in this idea of what's called lead users. Okay? Lead users are those kids that, that take the bull by the horns and, and run with it. Okay? Uh, these are the kids that will lead others into spaces. Okay? Um, it, it's it's about, about letting kids form these networks. Okay? Uh, Larry, to answer your question, uh, occasionally kids are left out. And that's something that you do need to track. Uh, sometimes we, we assign that kids need to comment on certain other people's blogs. Uh, sometimes we let them loose. Okay? Um, so it is something you need to moderate. It is something you need to watch and monitor and be careful with. But that idea of kids forming their own networks is, is monstrous, I believe. Uh, you know, we've always been interested in the idea of every kid in the textbook on the same page at the same time. Uh, this is completely the, the antithesis of that. This is kids forming their own connections around their own topics, uh, choosing information they want. Um, Chris, uh, an analytical tool to study the networks, I have been after one for a few years. Uh, I'm, I don't know enough about the software part. Uh, I would really love to, if somebody took up that piece. I'm really interested in this idea of learning networks and trying to track how information spreads in it. Uh, how does a kid in one classroom write a blog post and then we find that information turns up, you know, half a world away on another continent uh, in another kid's blog? Uh, I'm fascinated in that idea. So tell us about uh, the glass bead. <laughs> glass bead. Uh, glass bead, and, and you'll notice it if you get the email address and all the glass bead stuff, uh, glass bead is spelled wrong. And uh, the reason it's spelled wrong is actually one of the most prosaic reasons in the world. And that was simply when I, when I took up glass bead, um, it, the glass bead spelled correctly, um, what was already taken. 
Okay, so I had to go with glass bead uh, taken with two E's. Uh, but glass bead actually comes from a German book that was published in 1943 that was called The Glass Bead Game. Uh, it was written by a German author called Hermann Hess. And, uh, and, and The Glass Bead Game is one of my favorite books of all time. It's fascinating. And what it has to do with is in this, this fictional book, um, there are, it's almost like an order of monks who, who play the glass bead game. And what it is, it, it, the book never fully describes it to you, so this is all by inference. But basically it's like a monstrous abacus where, where each of these, these monks who are playing against each other, uh, one of them places a glass bead on a string, and that glass bead is an idea. So let's say that's, you know, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Uh, then the, the other player takes another bead and places it next to that one, and the ideas have to flow together. So the idea is with these two people playing against each other, uh, it, it's not a competition, it's a collaboration. And at the end of the game, after they've placed all their ideas side by side, uh, this, this abacus or loom, whatever you might consider it to be, uh, plays music. And if all of the ideas go side by side, uh, you end up with, with beautiful, with beautiful music. Uh, if the ideas don't go together, then you end up with a discordant sound. Uh, to me, that is kind of the ultimate metaphor uh, of knowledge and learning in a connected society. Okay, we've got about a minute and a half to go. If you have a question, again, feel free to raise your hand or put it in the chat. I'm intrigued that you're in the small town uh, and Merchant is in the very small town in Australia. Do you think there's something that favors the small town teacher right now? You know, I've, I've been asked that question a number of times in the last couple of years, and I don't know if, if it is. I know that lots of small towns, uh, lots of small town teachers are pushing this stuff. And that's because it's important to us. You know, we can't take our kids to museums and symphonies and operas and things. Our kids need to get information in different ways. And uh, there's a lot of small town people who are, who are pushing hard. And whether it favors us or not, I'm not sure. But I know we're, we're rising fast. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's right, Steve. Out of the big bureaucracy, that might possibly be part of it. Okay, well, Clarence Fisher, rising fast, we appreciate you. And I'm clapping here for you. Thanks for taking the hour, knowing that you have family commitments and, and uh, school commitments and now Merrill commitments. We really appreciate it. It's been uh, wonderful to spend some time with you. Thanks to uh, Learn Central and Bing and Illuminate for allowing me to host the show. And, and we've got some good shows coming up, so we hope you'll join us for one that's appropriate for you. Thanks, Clarence. Really fun to talk to you. All right, everyone. Thanks for your night. Thanks for coming out. And uh, truly, like I pushed in the chat room, if you do need anything, please feel free to email me. Uh, probably a lot of you in the chat room are teachers, and uh, we all need to help each other out. So thanks for coming out, and please get in touch with me if you need me. Thanks, Clarence, for being so generous. Thanks, everybody, for coming. And we'll turn the recording off. And in order for the recording to process, we do have to have you leave the room. So I uh, appreciate your being here tonight and look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Clarence. Thanks, everybody. Good night.